welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11 will be our main text this morning. So if you go ahead and take your Bible, if you have one, um, and turn to Philippians chapter 2, verses uh, 1 through 11 uh, with us as we continue our series, Better Together. Um, The first two weeks, we talked about loving one another. So what we're doing through our time together uh, is talking about the one another passages of Scripture, uh, where the Lord tells us uh, things like to greet one another, to love one another, to be hospitable to one another another. Um, There's a multiplicity of passages like that in the New Testament. Uh, The one we're considering this morning is uh, to consider one another. And in in light of all of this series, I I hope that we realize that we are better together. Uh, From practical things like ministries at Riverside, you know, Sunday school and, and small groups and all the things, all the ministries that we have around here would not exist if you were not part of them. And if you were not serving in those roles, things like Harvest Fest and Thanksgiving baskets and all of these other things that uh, the Lord allows us to do, uh, we would not be able to do those things. So what we do is very important and we can do more together than we could do apart. And what I want us to see throughout this series is, is that, yes, for us to realize that everything that we do is that we are, are better together but one thing that we have to be thinking through is, is who we are. Not only what we do, but, but who we are. Because uh, we could have a full program of, of, uh, a full slate of programs, but if we're not doing them in the way that the Lord has us, then what is it all for? So who we are cannot be overlooked. And so we've seen together that we love one another. And this morning, I want us to see what does that look like, who we are. We are people who are not only doing things and are better together. Yes, that is part of it. But we are people who this morning we'll see considering one another. You see it in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Let me go ahead and read that again. It says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others, or some of your translations might render out, or consider others more significant than yourself. When I think of this verse being better together and considering one another and counting one another, I think of a movie, if you're ready to feel old, that is some almost 30 years old. Nick, go ahead and put that picture up there. Uh, do you remember these two guys? Do you know who that is? I know it's kind of blurry up there and the, the lighting is kind of dim, uh, but that's none other than Forrest Gump and Bubba Blue. Do you remember this from the movie Forrest Gump? And if you remember, uh, Forrest met Bubba as he entered to the army and Forrest finds himself uh, in Vietnam. And Forrest is, is commenting on his time in Vietnam as they're fighting these battles and uh, it starts to rain. And do you remember this? Uh, the narrator comes in who is Forrest Gump, Tom Hanks, the one on the left there. And he says this, he says, one day it started raining and it didn't quit for months for four months. And we had been through every kind of rain there is, little bitty stinging rain and big old fat rain, rain that flew in sideways. And sometimes rain even seemed to come up straight from underneath us. Shoot, it even rained at night. It just didn't stop raining. And then we flash to this scene where it's raining and these two soldiers, Forrest Gump and Bubba Blue, are trying to find rest in the rainy season. 
And here's what Bubba says. He says, I'm going to lean up against you. He says this to Forrest. I'm going to lean up against you, and you just lean right back against me. In this way, we don't have to sleep with our heads in the mud. You know why we are a good partnership, Forrest? Because we be watching out for one another, like brothers and stuff. Isn't that a wonderful picture? It's great to have brothers and sisters to lean on, isn't it? You lean up right against me and I'll lean right back against you. And when and it's raining, when it's tired and you just need some rest, there's a way to keep our heads out of the mud if we just lean against one another. And this is what the Apostle Paul is telling us in Philippians chapter 1 and Philippians chapter 2, that we are a good partnership because we are like brothers and sisters and stuff when we lean up against each other so that we don't have to sleep with our heads in the mud. And so that's what I want us to see this morning, how we can do that and consider one another so that we might hold one another up. Now the context of this verse, to consider one another, makes us look back into Philippians chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles in front of me, the first thing I want you to see is the context of this charge to consider one another, to count others before you count yourself. That we have to see the context. And the context, so point number one of what we're looking at this morning, is the Apostle Paul wants us to see what it means to live a, a worthy life. And so look at Philippians 1 verse 27 through 30, leading up to this wonderful passage in Philippians chapter 2. So here's the context of considering one another. Here's what he says. Verse 27 of chapter 1. Follow along with me. He says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. And so these folks are in the middle of conflict. It's raining. They're in the middle of a, this wartime mindset as they are facing opposition from the outside. They're facing opposition from the world that they are in as they try to live lives of the gospel. And Paul is encouraging them here that as you live in this torrential downpour, as opposition is coming, as you are living in this difficult world, brothers and sisters, be found living a worthy life. Life. Now, what does that mean? He, here's what he's unpacking in Philippians chapter 1, 27 through 30. A, a, wor- a life worthy of the gospel, I want you to know this, that living worthy of the gospel does not mean, does not mean that you are trying to live a life to merit or earn the gospel. That would be against everything that the scripture says. This is not God saves you and then you earn your keep. It is grace all the way down. It is grace that saves you and it is grace that will bring you all the way home. We just sang it a second ago. The Lord would teach us to abide. That for us to be raised with Christ, we depend on him. We never stop depending on Christ. So, so he's not saying live a life worthy of the gospel in a way that, that earn your keep. Or, or, or sometime merit the gospel. But what Paul is saying here is live a life that adorns the gospel, that puts the gospel on display, 
that neither disfigures nor contradicts the gospel. Live that kind of life. So that's the context of what he's driving at when he gets to Philippians chapter 2. Live a life worthy of the gospel. And he's also saying here a life worthy of the gospel is a life lived that adorns the gospel, but also a life that lives for the gospel. That we aren't just called to adorn the gospel, but we're also to proclaim the gospel with our very lives. And so, and so he's saying in, in this difficult time, in this conflict that you are facing, don't live a life that contradicts the gospel. And don't live a life that disfigures the gospel. In fact, live a life that adorns the gospel. And as you live a life that adorns the gospel, just as Jesus said, the world will know that the Father sent me. Live a life that with your very lives, the message you proclaim is pictured in the way that you love one another, the way that you lean on each other's backs to keep your heads out of the mud. A life worthy of the gospel is a life that adorns the gospel and is a life that lives for the gospel. This is your aim. This is your goal. This is your ambition that the world would know Christ. There's a couple other things that I want you to see in this context as we live a life worthy of the gospel. We live a life that is for the gospel, that's proclaiming the gospel. That's what one of all these one another's are building towards, particularly this one. A worthy life is also a consistent life. Listen to what Paul says, whether I come and see you or an absent, that I might hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind. There's a sense of accountability, isn't there? That Paul says, even if I'm never able to come see you again, may it be said of you that you're striving for the gospel in word and in deed, that you are living life worthy of the gospel. A worthy life is a consistent life. And to live a consistent life, here's the other thing I want you to see about this worthy life, this idea of accountability that we're better together A worthy life is a life that's not only adorning the gospel and proclaiming the gospel and consistent with the gospel, whether people are watching us or not. A worthy life is a life lived side by side. May I hear, not only that you as individuals are living for the gospel, did you see it there? That with one mind... And if you don't know this, this is my prayer, this is my drive, this is the metric by which I run everything that I think through at Riverside. That we would be found, verse 1, Philippians one twenty seven, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That we are better together and that we need one another. A worthy life is a life side by side with one another. Paul is giving us this word picture here, illustrating Christian teamwork. Stand firm in one spirit. So we're, we're talking about this more in a minute. One mind, one spirit, striving side by side. The picture that he's giving here that, that believers are like soldiers. And, and they're like athletes. They're, they're fighting and contending together. In this world, you will have trouble. There will be mud. There will be rain. There will be all of these trials that you face. But you face them together. And you're never alone. Just like an athlete or a soldier, we are better together. And many commentators on this passage make a connection not only with athletic games, but also with the gladiator arena. 
It's like Paul envisions Christians in the arena of faith. Others suggest that it's a word descriptive of wrestling, not the wrestle that, wrestling that we know of that's kind of one-on-one wrestling, rather a competition that involves a whole team wrestling together against one another, uh, much like you might think in football today and the linemen on the football team. That they are locked arms, maybe not literally, but they are together striving for one goal, striving for the gospel. They block side by side for the same purpose. And in team sports, each one must do his own part, and you need the whole team contributing, and so it is with the church. We advance the gospel side by side, working, contending, and laboring together, that we fight alongside one another. And so this means, as we're, we're talking about this, to live a life worthy of the gospel, and we, we can't forget We can't forget the grace of having other people to lean against. Let me say this again. We cannot forget the grace we have of leaning up against one another. And so part of considering one another, we're going to get into this in Philippians chapter 2, is considering your presence. I know some of you folks rearrange your schedules in order to show up for people on Sunday morning. Let me encourage you to keep doing that. That every Sunday, you know, I say this all the time, at least to my wife, every Sunday morning we pass ball fields and people have rearranged their schedules and packed the parking lot to be there for their team. And a whole generation is going to grow up like that. And some of you play on those teams and you still rearrange your schedule to be here on Sunday morning. And that's incredible. But don't take fellowship for granted. We need one another to lean against. And so to sum all of this up, a worthy life is a life together, a life together for one purpose, to see Jesus exalted and to see Jesus be big and to exalt him in this church. So all of these one another's are are coming out of this, and so is this. And so side by side, the way of living a life worthy of the gospel. Here's point number two. Don't forget, look at chapter two, verse one, that this is the way of joy. It's a way together, but the first thing that I want us to see as we continue on into chapter two is that side by side, together, when we're better together, that is the way to joy. Look at verse one. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Look at verse 2. Complete my joy, Paul says, by being of the same mind. Same love, being in full of court, full of court, one ambition and of one mind. That this will complete his joy. This will fill up his joy. This is the way to joy. When you face opposition, when you live in a difficult world, this is a way to have joy even in tribulation. This is a way to have joy even when life is difficult. This is the way to joy, to strive side by side together. And look at what he says. He says, be encouraged. He says, here's what he's saying. Let this embolden you. This encouragement that you have in Christ. So here's what he's saying. In all of this that you face, notice what he's starting to do. He's starting to, to, to set our eyes on Christ. Because in this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have difficulties. And so now Paul said, let this embolden you. Look to Christ. Look to Christ. 
It was Robert Murray McChain who said, for every look that you take at yourself, take 10 looks towards Christ. So look to Christ. Let that embolden you is what he's saying. Because anytime someone encourages you, what are they saying is be not afraid. You have this. And he's not saying you have this, but he's going to say that Christ has this. So get your eyes on Christ. Be encouraged and listen to what he says. So he's saying be charged. Be not afraid of what you face. Be encouraged in Christ. And primarily what he's saying here is being, be comforted by the love of Christ. Be comforted that you are loved by Christ. And so, so what he is saying is get your eyes on Christ. Be comforted by love. Be, be, participate in the same Spirit. If there's any affection and sympathy, complete my joy. What does it say here? By being of the same mind, the same love, being of one fold. Here is the way to joy. This will complete his joy. Never forget that the church should be the most joyful place in all of the world. Did you know that? The church should be the most joyful place in all, all the world. Because we were dead in our trespasses and sin, and God in his mercy raised us to life in Jesus Christ. No matter what this world brings to us, all we have coming is eternal life forevermore. This should be the most joyful place in all of the world. And, and what is this way to joy? And this is what it, Be of the same mind, do you notice there? Be of the same love. Be one in heart. Be of one spirit. Have this deep and abiding friendship. And be of one purpose, one accord, one ambition, namely Christ. That's the way to joy. And he goes on to say this, that's the way to joy. And so the, what's the way of joy? So the way to joy is to be of, in full accord, full accord, one ambition, one love, with our mind, eyes on Christ. So what does this action look like? So we're, that's what we're driving towards. Not just together but considering one another. Listen to what he goes on to say. Verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. So that's the negative. So how, how do we do this? How do we live this out? How are we... On, do, here's the negative. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Or do nothing from rivalry or conceit. The word rivalry is, means strife. It's seeking of influence and position for oneself at the expense of others. And it will even use sacred things to achieve that end. So if you want this place to be a place of joy, if you want to complete the joy, we can't be rivals with one another, trying to one-up one another, trying to position ourselves over one another, trying to take advantage of one another, trying to put ourselves before one another, another. That has no place in the kingdom of God. That will rob your joy. So do nothing of rivalry. And notice what he says here. Here's the other negative. Do nothing of conceit. This is the way of joy. Nothing of rivalry, nothing of conceit. Conceit is the view of oneself that does not correspond to reality and yet indulges in self-exhibition as though it had something of immense worth to display. All of these are enthroning the self. So what Paul is saying, don't enthrone yourself. Get yourself off the throne. 
Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. And here's the positive. So the way to joy is unity. And the way of joy, the the heart behind this, how are we getting there? Our eyes are on Christ. We're united in Him. And the way we start to live out is what we're talking about now. The positive. But, see it in verse 3? But, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. And let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So here's the key of what we've been driving at the whole time as we're trying to live these lives worthy of the gospel by the grace of Jesus Christ. He finally gets to this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider one another. Look towards one another. Look to the needs that someone might, don't just think about them, but consider them more than yourselves. Think of yourself less. Don't think less of yourself, of who you are in Christ, but think of yourself less. Think about others first. What's the old acronym that the way of joy is Jesus, others, and yourself? Think of Jesus first, others, and then yourself. Each one thinking about the other one. Now you know what the struggle is to all of this, right? Our minds drift to self. We drift towards rivalry and we drift towards conceit. We are like Jesus' disciples, aren't we? Who just hours before deserting him at Gethsemane engaged in a debate, do you remember this, over which one of them was the greatest. We think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. We covet and we cannot obtain. We fight and we can quarrel and we grasp at greatness because we covet the glory of being great in the eyes of others. Our minds drift towards self-promotion. And Tim Keller, in a book on idolatry, wrote this. He says, anything that is more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, is an idol. And self can be an idol. That we enthrone ourselves, and perhaps self is the easiest idol to worship. And even in our own day and age, that is where we are told to find our sense of identity is in our self, in our own identity. Idol of self is center stage in our day. But let's not be naive to think that self is somehow a a new idol. You only have to go a few pages in Scripture to find that Mankind loves to enthrone themselves. Do you remember in the Garden of Eden? God had told Adam and Eve of all the trees in the garden, do not eat of this tree, because on the day of you eat it, you will be like God. And they figured God was trying to keep something from them. Satan's lies and half-truths brought something to our minds, perhaps we can be like God. Perhaps we can be in control of our very lives. Perhaps we can be on the throne of the universe. Perhaps God is not good. Perhaps what he has told us is not true. Can we trust God or do we need to trust self and make a name for ourselves? They chose to make a name for themselves. And all the world has been unraveling and was unraveled from the sin that entered into 
the world. And Adam acquiesced to Eve's offer to eat the fruit, probably because he harbored these same feelings. The sin of pride that led to Satan's fall had now infected the hearts and minds of all mankind, and still it's a struggle today. We want to enthrone ourselves. And Paul is saying, don't let this kind of thinking make its way into the church because that is not the way of God. That is not a life worthy of the gospel. Self-idolatry can get in the way of us worshiping God as it promotes itself and the love of self. Promotion of self comes when individuals put their time, money, and attention towards growing their own agenda, growing their own following, growing their own promotion. A conductor of a symphony of an orchestra was once asked, what is the most difficult instrument to play? And he responded by saying this, second violin. He said, I can find plenty of first violinists, but to find someone who can play second violin with enthusiasm, that is a problem. And if we have no second violin, we have no harmony. It takes more grace than I can tell you to play second fiddle Well, it's hard to consider others more important than ourselves because we want to promote ourselves. We want to be in that first chair. So the way to joy is through unity, striving side by side. The way of joy is doing nothing from selfish ambition or rivalry or conceit, but considering others before you consider yourselves. And this is difficult because our minds drift towards self-promotion. But has Paul got good news for us? Let each of you, verse 4, not only look to his own interests, but also to interests of others. Look at verse 5. For all of our minds that drift to self-promotion, for all of our hearts that try to enthrone ourselves, for all of the struggle that we have of making much of ourselves, here's the good news that, look at verse 5. This is so good. Have this mind among yourselves. Does he say, go earn it. You can do this. Just forget about yourself. Listen to what he says. No, he says, get your eyes on your Christ. Do you see it? Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That's good news. We have the mind of Christ. This is yours in Christ Jesus. How do we consider others? First, we must consider Jesus. It's yours in Christ Jesus. So, so if you're overwhelmed, like how do I start considering others? How do I start putting others first? For every 10 looks, for every look that you give yourself, give 10 looks to Christ. This is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, what? Though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God to be grasped. He was eternal. All things were his. He was the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. But our Savior emptied himself. This does not mean he emptied himself of divinity. Simply what Paul is saying here, that he took on the form of a servant. He came to seek and save the lost. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for sinners. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. 
but he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Are you following here? And being found in human form, he became like us. And he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here is what he is saying. Consider others by considering Jesus. The kind of humble service that we have for one another must be rooted in the gospel. For every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ because he is altogether lovely. He is a perfect servant for us. And do you realize that it's only in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and this will help us serve and consider one another and put away rivalry and conceit and whatever else, That only in the gospel of Jesus Christ, listen to me good, you get the verdict before the performance. Let me say that again. That it's only in the gospel of Jesus Christ that you get the verdict before the performance. In Christianity, the moment we believe, God imputes Christ's perfect performance to us as if it were our own. And he adopts us into our family. You do not have to self-promote. You do not have to put yourself on the throne of the universe in order to find acceptance. Because if you are in Christ Jesus, you do not have to build a resume. You do not have to build followers. You don't have to do any of that and perform in order to get the verdict. That has been given to you by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. And let me tell you this morning... That getting your eyes on the gospel will free you to consider one another first. Because you don't need people serving you. You don't need people to find purpose or meaning or whatever else. But if we are doing this right, then we are all leaning up against one another. Each one serving the other one so that each person might see Christ. And that's what Paul is after here. That to be a community that is considering one another must consider Christ. And in doing so, we must be a community that are are mindful of Christ. And to have the mind of Christ. So that all the interactions that we have side by side. As Paul takes us back to the gospel. And the supernatural work of Christ in taking on flesh to save us from our sins, by being a perfect servant towards us, he is getting us gospel-oriented so that we will be others-oriented because that's what our Christ did. He loved the other. While we were yet sinners, the holy God came like us in every way so that he might embrace the center, the sinner. So we need to consider one another so that one another might see Jesus. What does this look like? I won't turn to this passage, but Romans chapter 12 is what I prayed over us earlier. 
Here are some things Romans 12 tells us about loving one another and considering one another. That we love one another as brothers and sisters. We need to see each other, consider one another, consider each other as family. Because we are in Christ. Romans 12 tells us to outdo one another in showing honor. So you're not trying to one-up yourself, but you're trying to serve one another. To be diligent, to be zealous, he says. To be joyful, to be patient with one another. To rejoice with people who rejoice. To weep with those who weep. To notice people, to notice their needs. That's what to consider means is to get your eyes on people, but first get your eyes on Christ, get your eyes on people, see their needs, see who they are, see their struggles, notice their feelings, and ask the question, how can I hold them up and help them to see Christ? And yes, even enemies and difficult people, the Bible tells us to do that. To even though, as far as it's possible with you, live peaceably with all people. Even people that are difficult to love, especially people that are difficult to love because you were a dirty, rotten, filthy sinner and Jesus Christ gave his life for you. And once you know that, that will change the way you serve. And so what's Paul after here? He said, he, what he's after is a church that's looking at Jesus more than anything else. And if we are a church looking at Jesus more than anything else, we will be a church looking like Jesus more than anything else. We'll hold one another up. We'll keep each other's heads out of the mud. We'll be able to face with courage and comfort a difficult world to live in. And side by side, we will point people to Christ. So Paul is exhorting us in Philippians chapter 2 to adopt Jesus' death as the central outlook on our lives, the central mindset of our lives that we must bear our cross daily and die to self. And we are to imitate Christ who came to give and give and give that we might give and give towards one another. This is a call for all of us to be Jesus-y people. One mind, he says, to complete my joy. One mind, the mind of Christ. One heart, the love of Christ. One spirit, the spirit of Christ among us. One purpose, one ambition, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that people might see Jesus. And then Paul says, look at verse 14, chapter 2 of Philippians. And do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, watch this, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Do you notice what he's saying here? But as we have the mind of Christ, as we consider one another, as Christ considered us, people will be pointed to Christ, people will see Christ, and in that way, we will shine as lights in a dark world. Isn't that what we desire to do? We need to consider one another as Christ considered us. Let's pray.